Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Sure, good to be back uh, with you here after a little time off. Thanks for the uh, birthday greetings as well. And I won't tell you how old we are, but we did just flip over another decade. And it gives us uh, more discounts at restaurants. Um, First of all, before anything else here too, I want to just ask you to indulge me a couple of minutes. Let me tell you what I was up to when I was skipping church last week. Um, Is it PowerPoint? Okay, there you go. So, um, as many of you know, Gene and I have been uh, richly blessed to have quite a few of our kids uh, close by, um, even after high school. Several of them have gone off to our Bible college and then come back and finished their college here and, and uh, found jobs here in the area. But gradually they scatter from here, and, and uh, more of that's coming soon for some of them. And, and so, before that happens, uh, six of our boys cooked up a plan for a guy trip to Arizona, and they invited me along. And uh, let me tell you, that, that was like medicine to my soul. Uh, observing my boys interact with uh, each other as grown men is a treat. Uh, and for the most part, uh, they made the plans, and I was just along for the ride. Um, is there one other light that, that drops off and gives that a little less uh, or a little better visibility? <clears throat> yeah, let's go ahead with that. That's fine. Um, we stayed near Flagstaff for three nights and uh, in a cabin there and went hiking each day and saw some awesome displays of God's creation. And other than being um, more winded than uh, I used to be when I was going uphill, uh, things went really well. And uh, seeing the Grand Canyon has now been crossed off my bucket list. Um, there you go. Um, we hiked in down a ways one day. Um, which, which means uh, you also have to hike back out again. Um, and so the first one on that side is up above, and then down in a ways. And, and then this one, it's kind of hard to see on there with the light, but it, but it has switchbacks going all the way back out. Um, Sedona area also was awesome sites, and uh, we really do have an amazing creator. Our trip concluded uh, back in Minneapolis with uh, Pastor Wade Mobley, uh, who's the president of AFLC Schools, um, giving us uh, and a few others a a little tour of the uh, new Student Life Center there. And and that's the building with the red there, um, still in progress, but within a month, roughly, they hope to be done. And uh, there's a picture a little earlier of of the building. And uh, here's a couple of pictures from inside. And we got to be some of the first to walk on the new gymnasium floor. Um, that's where annual conference will be held uh, next year. And, and so uh, it'll be exciting to be together there. And uh, there'll be ample space for that. Now on to my message for today. And you can give me a little more light now. But I just want to be able to show those folks. 
Our, our trip, yeah, next page. So, I want to ask you a question here today. First of all, how many of you um, have ever recalled gone through a study of the book of Amos? Well, that answers my next question. Most likely none of you remember then. Um, when I was a speaker at uh, FLC Wilderness Camp uh, 12 and a half years ago, uh, it was just the summer before uh, Miranatha called me here, and uh, I preached through a series in, in that book. And as I've been looking around at the landscape in our nation this last year, it's been on my heart to share from Amos again. Um, Twelve years ago also was an election year as well, and it seems like in times like that we tend to uh, reflect on the culture and values of the people that make up our citizenry and, and uh, the candidates uh, for office and so on. And uh, so why study Amos? Well, the Old Testament prophet Amos tells us about God's dealings with nations, uh, with the nations of Israel and Judah and also the nations surrounding them. And though nations come and go, God never changes. And his intentions then, as in how he deals with the nations, uh, out of love for all humanity, continue to be the same today as, as they were back uh, 3,000 years ago. And so as we look together then in this Old Testament book of Amos uh, these next weeks, I'd like to encourage you to, um, if you would, read ahead a little bit. Um, there's nine chapters, and we won't cover all of them in detail. Uh, but Annie sent out an email Friday just encouraging folks, even just bring your own Bible each week. Um, or pick one up in the back of the sanctuary. There'll be a few piled back there. We're not uh, putting them in pews right now with COVID-19, but uh, make use of them. And as we go through this, then in chapters 1 and 2 today, I'm not going to read all of it, but you're going to see a pattern there. And uh, it might be helpful to have it open in front of you as we walk through this. Now, maybe some of you are wondering, well, where is that book anyway? Yeah, looking for the book of Amos uh, in the Old Testament is a little bit like those Where's Waldo pictures. Um, I looked at a Where's Waldo book with one of my grandkids just over the holidays. And uh, Amos is, happens to be um, the 30th book of the Old Testament, um, if that helps anybody. It's tucked in there right in, in, in the uh, major, I should say, in the minor prophets. So after the major prophets there in the middle... Uh, Daniel is the last of them. Then you see Hosea, Joel, and Amos. There it is. Might you look with me at chapter 1. We're going to read just the first eight verses at this time. And would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read? The words of Amos, who was among the sheepherders from Tekoa, which he saw in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice, and the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. This is what the Lord says. For three offenses of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they threshed Gilead with iron sledges. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazel. It will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. I'll also break the gate bar of Damascus and eliminate every inhabitant from the valley of En, as, as well as him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. So the people of Aram will be exiled to Kerr, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. 
for three offenses of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they led into exile an entire population that turned them over to Edom. So I will send fire on the wall of Gaza, and I will consume her citadels. I'll also eliminate every inhabitant from Ashdod, as well as him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will direct my power against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines will perish, says the Lord God. Let us pause and pray. Oh Lord God, as we look into this, your word of, of judgment uh, for several nations, Lord, help us to understand how it is that you deal with nations, including even our own today. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to each of our hearts uh, about our own relationship with you as well. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we consider these first couple chapters of Amos today, then I want to ask you, have you ever wished that somebody got what they deserved? I certainly have, and I remember when I was growing up, um, uh, observing the life of a rather spoiled neighbor kid who, who grew into an even more spoiled teenager and, and caused a lot of grief to his adopted parents. And, and I remember wishing that he would get some serious punishment for some of his actions. Now, years later, I, I wouldn't wish on anyone the life that he has had uh, as a result of some of those rebellious actions. Maybe he did get some of what he deserved. As a parent, uh, um, my kids, uh, when they were younger, there were times when one of the boys would point out to me that a sibling really deserved some punishment for something. And sometimes I would ask in response, well, did you always get what you deserved? And usually you'd be a little quiet in response to that. We're kind of strange creatures, aren't we? we? We want others to get what they deserve, but we're less sure that should be the case when it comes to ourselves. The Old Testament prophet Amos knew that to be the case, and he plays on that as he starts out these words here to the nations of Judah and Israel. And you know, actually, God also knows we humans are, are like this. And, and it, it's really his words in that Amos speaks here. Words of righteous judgment of God upon all. Words of Amos then are not just for his time, but they're for our time today as well. In order to understand all the names of, of cities and countries in, in these first couple chapters, I, I have some visuals I want to just walk through with you as we go through this. And one of the first things that's clear to me is this that God is in charge of the nations, and, and he brings his righteous judgment upon those that are ungodly. And, and now when we think of the judgment of God on people, some have the perspective that, you know, well, God judges some and not others, kind of depending on who he likes at the time. A little bit like uh, this child who wrote a letter to God. Dear God, I bet it's really hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> no, God's judgment, God's judgment on people is not a random thing, depending on who he feels like he likes at the time. Um, he, he is completely righteous in his judgment. It's never hasty. It, it's always deserved. Uh, when commentator says this about it, I think it sums it up well. We, we humans tend to see wrath and mercy as irreconcilable opposites. But in God, we have the perfect blending together of both in one divine nature beyond our ability to fathom. The face which God turns to the world is predominantly one of mercy, 
Wrath comes when it comes, late and overdue, as the Bible permits us to say, accompanied by the tears of God over impenitent sinners. End quote. And so, in the days of Amos, after much patience with his people, God called a sheep herder from this little village of Tekoa to bring his message of coming judgment on nations surrounding Israel. And it's interesting to me that often God calls people that didn't really want the job. And that's the case we'll see later in Amos here. Amos would have rather just stayed on the farm, just watched his sheep, but God called him to leave them and declare this message of judgment that it seemed that nobody really wanted to hear. Secondly, then, the declaring of God's coming righteous judgment is described like a roaring lion. Um, it's not, not the soft and gentle side of God that we see here in these chapters. Lions don't just roar, they, they also devour. And Moyer in his commentary says this about it as well. As Amos perceived the character of his God, he saw that the lion roar of condemnation and judgment came only when the patience of mercy had long but vainly waited for repentance and amendment of life. That's the reason that as we look at Amos mentioning then in these chapters, here, one nation after another, um, it, it has this repeated phrase, for three transgressions of blank, name the nation, and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. And I just read the first couple, but this pattern is repeated eight times in these two chapters. And Amos brings this message of God's coming judgment on nations that are surrounding Israel and Judah. And, and you know, judgment is, is never a popular message uh, unless it's coming for somebody else. And you know, many times people respond to this message of judgment of God. This roaring lion, as if they're in a deep sleep and they don't even hear it roaring. And so God takes drastic action at times to get them to listen. But Amos shows us clearly here that God brings his righteous judgment on nations and that he does so often at the hand of other nations. And that's a troubling thing for us to accept, but scripture verifies this time and time again. And I'm going to walk through some of this with a map. Um, and here we have a list of some of the nations then that are addressed in these two chapters. And the first one then mentioned is Aram. Um, if, if you look toward the top of that, you'll see Aram is what's said in white up on the top. And then there's Damascus right above that. That's a uh, capital city of Syria today. Um, and the scripture here tells us about their sin. Their, it was extreme cruelty. Said they threshed Gilead like you, like you thresh wheat. Now, these days we, we have fancy combines to do that. But back then they would either use livestock that would trample the grain um, to flush it out, or, or they would uh, use instruments of iron to, to beat the grain. And that's what Amos is saying the people of Aram did to the Israelites in Gilead. And, and so God says he is going to bring judgment on them, and it, he'll send fire on their leader's house, the city's gates will be destroyed. Their king will be dethroned, and their people are going to go off into exile. The next one mentioned is Philistia. You're familiar maybe with the Philistines. They were Israel's principal enemies for years. We hear about them in the Old Testament, um, making raids on the nation of Israel over and over, from the time of Samson on, uh, through the time of David, and, and even then up to this time of the days of Amos. And there are five um, 
principal cities um, of the Philistines. Each had a warlord that was in charge. And the scripture here tells us about their sins, their inhumane acts. They, they deported entire populations to deliver them over to another nation, the nation of Edom. And likely then they came into Judah and they'd capture people and they'd sell them as slaves to Edom. Their coming judgment from God, well, four cities are mentioned there in verse 7, said, I'm going to send fire upon the wall of Gaza. It will consume her citadels. I'll also cut off the inhabitant of Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I'll even unleash my power upon Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines will perish. And you think about this and what Amos is proclaiming here now to the people of Israel and Judah. And can't you just about hear those people as they hear this coming judgment on their hated nations going, yes, at last they're going to get what they deserve. And they're thinking this is even better than when David killed Goliath, the giant from Gath, and, and sent the Philistines running. God's going to deal with them. Next we go to Phoenicia. Um, that's northern Lebanon, um, cities of Tyre and Sidon. You can maybe see um, it says Tyre up toward the top there, I believe. Um, their sin, uh, they were another nation that captured people from Judah, whole towns of them, and sold them as slaves to Edom. And even though apparently they, they'd made some kind of a treaty not to do so, they just lied about that and continued to do it. Their coming judgment from God was God would destroy the walls of their key city of Tyre. Then we have Edom. And uh, that's what you see in the white down toward the bottom there. Um, they were the nation that bought all these Jewish slaves. Um, it tells us about them that they, uh, Edom pursued his own brother with a sword, it says. You see, Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And they pursued and killed then the descendants of Esau's brother, Jacob. And they did so mercy, mercilessly, without any compassion. And they too then could expect the judgment of God, the fire that would destroy the cities of Teman and Basra. And the destruction of these cities would then greatly destroy their ability to continue this slave trade. And again, can't you, as you think about how they had affected Israel and Judah, and you just hear their people saying, great, God's going to bring judgment on them too. And then there's Ammon. Ammon is a uh, in the white, just part way down, right in the middle there. And that's where the Ammonites were from. Their sin, Scripture tells us here in chapter 1, they were so callous that they ripped open pregnant women in Gilead and killed both mother and baby. And their coming judgment from God was that another nation was going to come and wipe out their cities of Reba. And God himself would send a storm that would fan the flames. Their king and princess would go off into exile. And again, you can hear Israel and Judah thinking, yes, great. You're going to get what they deserve. And then there's Moab. And that's the second one, white, they're just above Edom, between Edom and Ammon. And uh, there tells us in chapter 2 about their sin, they burned the bones of the king of Edom. And you might think, well, why is that so bad? And didn't he kind of deserve that? And maybe that's true. And yet... Uh, even in these days, they were to show respect to enemies by giving them a decent burial. The Moabites could also expect the judgment of God as he destroyed their key city at the hand of another nation. And there you have it then. 
This is the prophecy that Amos has been giving about the surrounding nations. They were going to be judged by God for their sins against him and his people. And if they listened to the prophet Amos and believed him, they had to be a little excited about what was going to happen to those nations around them. But wait a minute, there's more. And we go on to see this. That God also brings his righteous judgment even on his own chosen people. And that is on Judah and Israel. And in chapter 2, then it tells us of their sins as well. Judah rejected the law of the Lord. They didn't keep his statutes. God had given his people his holy word through the prophets, and they just refused to listen to it. Instead, they believed this lie that you can worship God, but you can worship and pursue idols as well. And then Israel, it tells us that they were taking financial advantage of the unfortunate. They didn't care about the poor around them, sometimes even selling some of their own poor people to be slaves over there in Edom or in other nearby countries. And there was illicit sexual activity going on as well, and it gives an example in here of a man and his son going to the same prostitute. And These were practices of the pagans around them. They should clearly know them to be wrong and sinful, yet they were following the sins of the worldly around them. And in the days of prosperity, then, the the people of God had become materialistic and pleasure-seeking. They had fallen into patterns of sexual sin and unconcern for the poor while they partied and lived lives of ease. They worshipped in the temple at Jerusalem, but but it was as if the true God was just one of many things in their life. And, And so God promised judgment on Israel and Judah as well as the other nations. And as we think of the sins of Israel and Judah, do we see some similarities even to some things in our own land? We certainly live in a sex-crazed society today, and a society that's driven by wealth and pleasure and maybe times unconcerned for the poor. Boy, I did not, rec- did not realize what you'd see down in Arizona and Phoenix. Uh, a lot of homeless folks um, is part of the picture there. And that's a growing concern in our nation And even though we as a nation were founded on godly principles and we have ample copies of God's word all around us, yet we've become largely a a, a biblically illiterate nation, unconcerned for keeping the Ten Commandments and even holding up as good and right things that are absolutely contrary to God's word. And we don't like to think of it as idolatry, but other things have crept in and become more important in many of our lives than God. So if we think that we're above being judged, we have a distorted view of ourselves, and we don't really understand God's holiness. We need to see ourselves for what we really are, self-centered, rebellious sinners in need of the grace and the mercy of a holy and perfectly righteous God. And we need to humble ourselves before God in recognition of our personal and of our national sins. But you know, God's people seem to forget his hand of blessing on them. If you think of Israel and Judah, that was the case. What had God done for them? Well, he had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. You see that in chapter 2, verse 10. He'd given them freedom. We who are Christians today, too, have been given freedom. We've been released from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. But perhaps we forget about the significance of that. We, we slip back into sinful patterns. and We start grumbling about all our lacks rather than counting our blessings. People of Israel and Judah also 
Um, God had given them the land of the Amorites. He brought them into the promised land of Canaan, rich land flowing with milk and honey. As we consider our nation today, we recognize that in our lifetimes we have been blessed to live in the most prosperous land in the world, and we've taken it for granted. It's only because of the blessing of God that we have so prospered. And all that we have, we, we owe to him. And beyond that, as you think about the promised land concept, recognize this, that the real promised land isn't here, it's heaven. The best is yet to come. There's this awesome land yet in store for those who know the Lord. One further thing that Amos reminds the people of Israel and Judah is this, that he had raised up some of their young men as prophets. And here's a list of of many of the prophets mentioned in the Old Testament that God raised up from among them. As you think about that, God has since also raised up many godly leaders um, in our nation in the past. We've been often blessed to have leaders that, that look to the Lord, even presidents, congressmen, Supreme Court judges, and others in leadership who have sought to follow God's will rather than their own. And we've also had some who do not. And we in Christ's church uh, have been blessed by Christian pastors and evangelists and church leaders that have boldly spoken God's word to us. And God has blessed many of our lives richly because of godly leaders. But as you think about Judah and Israel, what did they do with the prophets that God had sent them? They told them to be quiet and not to prophesy. And I think we're seeing a growing amount of the same attitude toward God's word today in our own country. What did God say through the prophet Amos to the nations of Israel and Judah besides that he would judge the surrounding nations? He said that their sins too weighed heavily on him like on an overloaded cart. And there would be no escaping his righteous judgment. And that's our very sobering message. God was telling Judah and Israel that the same superpower nation that was going to overtake their enemies all around them would also overtake them. And Amos was predicting then the coming of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And as we see the hand of God in nations in the Old Testament, we can also see his hand even in nations today. And I believe that at times God has used our nation to bring judgment on some other regimes that have been ruthless in their treatment of their own people. But lest we think that we are in great shape because we're a nation on God's side, we need to recognize that he might choose to bring judgment on our own land as well. And maybe even that's part of what's going on, even with the pandemic that he's allowed. And I believe that there may be other judgment coming on our nation. It seems we are a nation more and more neglecting to look to God, and instead only to the supposed wisdom of men. Martin Isles uh, was asked this. He was asked, what's the greatest threat in the next decade? And he said, atheistic communism. And he said this, and I quote, but of course it has to happen, doesn't it, when you remove God? Where else do people go for contentment, for security, for purpose, for everything of that nature, if there is no higher authority than the state? With starry eyes and their misplaced hopes, they start looking to the state to make them happy. And it won't last because it will prove false. But that's where people are starting to look. But there's something more than the state. There's something more than politics. 
The destiny of all things and ultimate meaning are found in none other than the living God. Utopia is not on this earth. Utopia is in the next life, in the next world. And I'm so glad that there is something more than politics. I'm so glad that Trump or Biden or whoever my favorite candidate is winning the presidency is not what my happiness, my security, my joy, and all that sort of stuff, that's not what it depends on. Never has, never will. Because there's something far greater than Trump, there's something far greater than Biden, there's something far greater than the world economic form. The world is losing sight of the fact, of that fact. And people everywhere are losing sight of that fact. Our leaders don't believe that fact. And so statism is what's going to happen unless we recover that fact afresh. What is that fact? It's that there's one who is over all of this. And we need to be looking to him. God's judgment may be coming in some form, even for our nation. However, we need to recognize this. God is still a God of mercy. And his mercy is available to all who will humble themselves personally and admit it. Admit their sins. Um, we, <clears throat> we are all called to live fearing God, but not with a slavish fear. But we're called to realize the seriousness of sin and to turn our hearts to God and ask him for forgiveness and mercy that we find in Jesus and the cross. In light of God's righteous judgment, what are we to do? We look to the cross. Because you see, it is there that Jesus Christ himself took our deserved judgment on himself. And in Jesus, then, there's forgiveness for all of our sins of the past, and there's power to live godly lives in the future. And we in America need to recognize, then, to whom much is given, much is required. And we have been richly blessed. We've been released from the slavery to sin through Jesus Christ. We've been given an extraordinary land to live in and care for. We've been blessed with godly leaders in our past, and some even today. And there are other leaders who have majorly disappointed us. Some on both sides of the political spectrum who, who have, at times have absolutely gone against what is right and good and even against God himself. And our just God is able to deal with them. He can give them what they deserve. However, we're to pray that they would yet humble themselves and that they'd turn to him for mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls his church then to continue to boldly proclaim his word in our own land and to send missionaries to proclaim it in other lands and to pray for the nations that are in darkness that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ would come into hearts and lives all over. And as we think about God able to bring judgment, I want to just ask you again, is there someone that you wish would get what they deserved? And do you desire that same righteous judgment on you for what you deserve? Praise the Lord for the mercy that he shows us in Jesus Christ. And keep in mind that though there may be sterner days ahead, it, it may be that God is seeking to use those things to wake up his church and, and to turn the hearts of people in this land to his son Jesus Christ. As we look next week, uh, chapter 3 and especially at chapter 4, we're going to be asking this question, well, what will it take for somebody to turn to him? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your word today and for just this, this uh, history lesson of, of how you dealt with nations in the past. And Lord, we see this prophecy of Amos for the nations around Israel and Judah, but also for them. And, and we know that in, in your plan, you, you brought then 
uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians to overrun them for a time in order that it would humble people and they would recognize their desperate need for you. And Lord, as we look at our own nation, there are many troubling things we see in the political realm. But Lord, we have been so richly blessed in this land and many have forgotten you as a result. And Lord, we don't understand all of your ways, but we trust that in these troubled times, you can use these things to humble hearts uh, of your people in the church and, and others that don't know you yet, Lord. And we pray then for those in leadership of our land. We, we pray, as Ryan already prayed today, that, that you would work in each of their hearts to bring them to see their, their sinfulness, their, their need for you, for forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and that there be change of hearts. And, and Lord, as we look ahead um, at the next weeks and, and, and the change of... Uh, Administration, Lord, even in our nation, we, we pray for you to be at work in the hearts and lives of leaders and, Lord, in each of us, that we would let you be the center of our lives, that we would hear your word and we seek to live for you, and, and that we would offer the hope that only Jesus Christ can give to those around us. Uh, we pray in his name.